And welcome uh, for the very first time ever uh, to Good Enough with Stefano Sanzo. Uh, whoever you are, uh, friend, family, fan. Do I have fans? I probably don't have fans. I'm pretty unknown. But uh, whoever you are listening to this, I just want to say thank you so much uh, for even getting this far, for even getting 10 seconds into the intro. That's really cool of you. Uh, please don't shut it off quite yet. Um and don't shut it off at all, in fact. Listen to the whole episode, because it's a really good one. Uh, but yeah, I just want to say thank you so much uh, for stopping by and being a part of this. Uh, this has been a passion project of mine for a very long time. You know, I've, I've always been into podcasts, and there's very few uh, forms of media that I'm into that I don't try to uh, get into myself. As you, as you're, you know, as a listener, you probably know a little about me. I, I've been doing stand-up comedy for four years because I love stand-up comedy. I got into acting because I love acting. You know, I do theater, a little bit of film work here and there, uh, like short films with my friends, and uh, yeah, I love this stuff. And this podcast is is something that uh, really kind of means a lot to me. Uh, and it, it comes down to the title, which uh, I talk about later on in the episode with uh, with my friend, uh, comedian uh, Rodney Norman. So obviously it's a consolidation of the two words, good and enough, good enough. And the idea is kind of, we're kind of taking back mediocrity, uh, kind of embracing mediocrity. And I'm not saying, um, I don't mean to say mediocrity in a negative light, and I, cause, cause I don't believe it is. And I'm not saying that you're mediocre or anyone's mediocre, but just this idea that being where you are is all right, especially if the idea is that you want to get better, but you have to be all right with where you're at in order to get anywhere further than where you are. So good enough is all about that. Kind of like what you say after like doing something to the best of your ability or maybe a little bit less to the best of your ability, but at least you got it done. It's good enough. <laughs> That's uh that's kind of the whole idea of this podcast. And uh, as of right now, the format is, you know, I have a pretty relaxed conversation with uh, artist friends of mine so far. It's just been comedians, but I'm trying to get fitness people on as well because those are uh, two. Th- those are some things that, you know, are, I'm really passionate about. I ask so far, I've asked everybody three questions. I think those questions may evolve over time. But, you know, other than the interview, I, I ask them what makes them happy. And that's a very important one to me. I, I love to hear uh, what people's answers are for that because it could be, you know, it, it could be something like their kids, but it could also get into something very specific. And those are those are the things I'm chasing after. I like to I like to know what people's little passions are in life, you know, little little things that basically make life worth living for them. Uh, later on in the episode, towards the middle, I like to ask, "What do they think is going to make the world a better place?" Which I know is a massive leap, a big jump. And it's usually kind of like a car crash moment because they're like, whoa, what the hell, man? You didn't tell me it's like that. <laughs> but uh, after that, usually elicits a, a pretty awesome conversation, you know, because everyone's got a different idea of what would make the world a better place. And finally, towards the end of the episode, uh, when, when we're winding down, I, I ask them not necessarily a question, but uh, I, I, ask, I, I put them to task. And that is to speak something into infinity kind of like a famous last words or a catchphrase or a piece of advice to a large group of people. Something because this this form of media, you know, as far as podcasts are concerned, like I, I want to host these forever. Every episode, I want them to always be up. I don't I always want there to be a way to listen to these episodes that I've done. I've done five so far. I'm about to record number six. So so with that question, I want them to say something with purpose, with meaning that they want to last forever, which 
is pretty difficult, you know, but I, I liked all the answers I've gotten so far. This is uh, this is going to be the basic format of the podcast. You know, I'll, I'll do some sort of intro right here in the beginning. Uh, of course, I have a theme song. I mean, if you don't know me at all, if you didn't think I had a theme song and after the theme song, it'll get into the episode. So uh, that's all I have for you today. Probably in the future, I may be running some ads in the intro because I do pay to make this podcast happen. I use a studio, Royal Fox Studios uh, in Shelton, Connecticut. And, uh, you know, at very least, it'd be cool if I could get the podcast to pay for itself. Either way, it's still something I'm passionate about. I have no problem forking over the money and being able to do this. All I ask is that you do keep on listening. You subscribe and you give me feedback. You know, it, it would be awesome to have listeners regardless, but I would love to have active listeners, people who message me back. You know how to get back to me. You know, Instagram, Stephabro93, Twitter, at Stephabro, or you could even add me on Facebook, Stefano Sanzo. I don't have a fan page. I just have a regular old page that anyone has access to, you know, as a normal person. And yeah, you're always welcome to hit me up on there. Oh, and as well as Snapchat, Stephabro93. I would love to hear your feedback, whoever you are, even if we don't talk in real life, uh, you know, you even if you're a friend from another side of the country, whatever it is, like, I especially want to hear from those people and what you liked, what you didn't like, you know, I may completely ignore some stuff or I may really take it to heart, but I want to know what this show makes you feel uh, because I want to con- continue to m- improve on it and, and make uh, some episodes in the future. Uh, but with that said... I'm going to let you guys get to episode one and hopefully you get right back to me about how you feel about it. But I am just so damn honored to be able to bring this to you. Uh, it was a really great conversation with uh, one of my favorite friends in comedy because he's just so damn generous, so damn nice, so damn funny and uh, a real pleasure to have in studio. And I'd love to have him back. I'm sure you guys will love to hear another episode from him, too. But uh, without further ado, uh, this is Rodney Norman on the absolute and hopefully of many, many, many episodes of Good Enough with Stefano Sanzo. Thanks, guys. First episode of Good Enough. I'm really excited to be doing this, and I picked my first guest, I want to say very carefully, because <laughs> I think you're right in line with what I'm trying to accomplish with this. We, we're, we're here today with Rodney Norman. Rodney? Hello. Thank you. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm honored to be the first. I'm honored. It's a pleasure. I'm so honored to have you, and I'm, I'm glad you're pleasured by being the first, man. Yes. No, but, but for real, uh, I... I love entertainment. I love art. I love creating things. I want to try my hand in just about everything creative. You know, I write songs. I do theater. I, I play some music. I've obviously been doing stand-up comedy for a few, uh, for a few years, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I act. And I'm all of this stuff, I'm just trying to put smiles on faces. You'll hear me say this a lot over the course of you know, as I, as this podcast grows or if it grows into anything, I'm trying to make people happy. I'm trying to spread that positivity, that cheer. And I think you're doing a really good job of this, Rodney, in, in your life or have done a really good job of it in your life and, and have accomplished uh, a lot of the things that I'd like to. You're, you're, you know, you're held in such high regard, I feel, by your peers and uh, a genuinely interesting person, uh, you know, some of the stuff I'd like to talk about. But like, 
how do you, how do you make people smile? How do you how do you how do you go about it, man? Um, you know, I think it goes back to my mother. Really? When, uh, yeah, because awesome. when I was a kid, her attitude was, if you're not having fun, you're doing it wrong. I love that. And I love that was, so much. You know, because you're, you know, when you're a kid, you're placed in weird, boring situations all the time. Absolutely. So my mother always taught us, she said, if you're bored, it's because you're a boring person. I agree. If you learn to just entertain and make yourself happy, you're never bored. Exactly. And so from that, you know, from that time on as a kid, I just always, it was always a challenge to just always find something fun and interesting about whatever it was I'm doing. Right. Regardless of how boring it is. Yeah. Pe- see, pe- people don't really understand. Uh, I shouldn't say people don't really understand, but the phrase making fun of something, right? I think it has a lot of negative connotations, but the idea to take a thing, whatever the situation, the moment is in front of you, the person and make fun of it is actually a wildly positive thing you know not everything is inherently fun but making fun of it taking a situation and putting the fun in that and figuring out how to get joy out of that situation could add so much value to your life and i'm not saying go and pick on people but i'm Mm -hmm. saying understand that there's a little bit more to that phrase of, of just of turning something that isn't inherently fun into something that is fun something that you could grab some joy out of and yeah there to be a boring person i mean there's so many ways that you could make a situation more alive, more filled with joy. So that was something that your mother instilled in you. You're saying, yeah, yeah, because you know I would because I used to go hang out with her and my grandmother and my grandmother, not exactly. I mean, she was a fun person, mm. but you know, she was an old person doing old person things as they do. Yeah, and so you, know, you go there and they're quilting. Uh huh. I mean, there's nothing more uninteresting to a a young boy (laughs) than quilting. Well, the thing is, they didn't. There's so many hobbies and so many activities we have available to us now in this, you know, in this point in time in this decade. That, like, for her, maybe that's like her VR goggles. You know what I mean? Like, quilting for her could have been a really, really fun thing. That oh, oh, she loved it. That's what I'm saying. Loved it. That's what I'm saying, man. And and uh, I feel like a lot of people get caught up in the stigma of, of, you know, having fun, maybe being childish or having fun is, you know, in, in, uh, the American capitalist society that we are, it's, it's all about making money, making money, making Mm -hmm. money, looking toward your future. But, you know, you got to worry about your present and how much you're smiling, how much you're enjoying yourself. Well, and I understand people, especially nowadays where everybody's so just tense and mad about everything every room feels like a a, a barrel of gunpowder yeah and it's and it's part of this is just that whole idea of that if 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 there is a single suffering child in the world then there is no way that i could possibly find happiness oh my god you know that if you if you're if you're happy somehow you're taking away from somebody else yes and if they're if they're not happy and you're happy you're somehow you're you're belittling them Not at all. and it's like I, yeah no, it's you're ridiculous right. yeah. but i think that's part of what's going on so, is that there's that mentality you're, is you're absolutely grabbed, right grabs hold of people there's uh there's actually an old quote that often gets attributed to buddha although i don't think buddha I, i'm not sure if buddha actually said it i wasn't around but it's uh the light of a candle uh could be used to light a thousand candles and its flame won't be diminished and the quote continues happiness doesn't decrease by being shared and it's absolutely right. You mm-hmm. just because you're, you, you know, just because you enjoy something and you want to bring that joy into other, and you're and you're bringing that joy and bringing that happiness in other other people doesn't mean it's going to take away from you. It only spreads. So there, there's no, 
uh, for, and, and the other way around, like just because I'm enjoying myself doesn't mean it should hurt you. You know, you should, you yeah. should figure out why I am happy or, or figure out how to make yourself there. But like to, to not, it's not a, I'm not sure if it's a jealousy thing, but yeah, people, uh, people seeing someone enjoy something could really almost hurt them. Uh, what you were saying before actually goes in line uh, with the name of this podcast and it's whole, the whole thing I'm trying to accomplish here. So you said, uh, uh, you, you brought up about how if there's one sick and dying child, that, that, that idea, like how could you dare be happy when there's so much suffering in the world? It's, mm-hmm. Listen, you cannot tend to every garden on earth. You cannot, <laughs> you cannot, you're not God. You do not have the power to end the suffering of the world, and you should not take that suffering onto yourself and ruin your own chance at happiness. I actually believe that making yourself a happy person adds one more happy person to the world and does make the world a better place, and you will make other people happy and other people filled with joy by not being a negative person and and just be, you could still care about the broke and the weary but you don't have to be upset and depressed about it all the time so the name of this podcast is called good enough g-o-o-d-n-u-f-f uh-huh. which uh it's it's not like this lackadaisical like complacent eh, it's good enough it's more when you do good when you feel good when you've made yourself better and 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 you're and you're spreading uh a, a better culture and, and a feeling of goodness onto other people, even if it's a couple people, even if it's just making someone laugh, mm-hmm. even, yeah, maybe you're not thinking, maybe uh, you know, you're not completely thinking about all the problems of the world, but if you could just be good and help other people be good and be happy and smile a little bit more, it's good enough. So there you go. welcome, welcome to the show, everybody. <laughs> this is what we're going to, if, uh, if, if, if you like this so far, this is the kind of stuff that I'm going to be trying to dive into uh, as as I move along. And, and it's really easy with Rodney because he's jolly and he understands spreading happiness and joy and making people laugh. Mm-hmm. But I have a couple other comedian friends who are curmudgeons who I'll be bringing <laughs> on. And it's going to be more of a challenge. So I kind of that's definitely why I brought him on as the first guest because I could uh, – this is the – it's this podcast in its purest form going well, but I'm sure there's going to be issues in the future with people who are completely negative. Um, I have a I have a comedy friend of mine who uh, who will be coming on in the future, Frankie Hill, um, who will be playing. He's like my arch nemesis, and he'll be playing. <laughs> we'll be playing like uh, basically the negative guy and the positive guy, uh, optimist versus pessimist sort of thing, and and uh-huh. kind of just tackling thing one way or not. And he's gonna shoot it down, and I'm gonna try to shoot it up and. You know, we'll we'll be butting heads in a, hopefully a friendly way, but uh, yeah. So look forward to that. So, to get into some stuff, like maybe tell some people. Uh, so we, we we heard a little bit about your mother, about your grandmother, and, and mm-hmm. how you got here. But um, you also have, I've I've always uh drawn been drawn towards you. Uh, aside from the happy stuff, I've always been drawn towards you because you do have a a pretty interesting place in comedy, and and you know you're not just just some guy who grew up in Connecticut or 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 you know like the same. It's it's not a very common story. So if you could tell people about well the Mormon stuff, the Utah stuff. <laughs> I mean, you've worked with you've worked on shows with a lot of my heroes. Uh, yeah. I've, I've seen the lineup at Wise Guys, and so uh, if we could start there, like about your involvement at Wise Guys. Okay. Well, I'm originally from Utah. Okay. I was born and raised in Utah. Right. I moved to Connecticut uh, around 2005, mm-hmm. uh, mostly to be closer to New York and Boston. Okay. For comedy. Right. Um, but yeah, I start, I helped start the wise guys comedy club 
in Salt Lake, which is now one of you the, helped start that. I helped start it. I Rodney, was, yeah. I, I am so cued into you know, I listen to tons of podcasts, I have a thousand comedians I follow. That is one of the most highly regarded comedy clubs oh, in America. And with that said, the world, because America is pretty much where stand up comedy, you know, we're, we're, we're the hub of the world sure, as far as stand up sure. comedy is concerned. It's such a highly regarded place. So, so you helped start it. You were there from, oh, yeah. from yeah, its the, inception. The owner, Key Stubbs, uh-huh. and he was running some shows on one part of town. I was running shows on another part of town. Right. We were kind of helping each other. I would go in and see his, some of his shows while I had shows going on across Crest Town. And he'd come and headline for me. And we just, we kind of were, we were working together. And we realized, but we were, we were doing, I was doing stuff at a movie theater. Comedy. Uh, yeah. Well, what it was, it was a movie theater. So what I would do is, uh, on Friday and Saturday nights, after the last show would play, like around you know ten, ten thirty, eleven right. o'clock, I'd go in there and we'd do comedy or hypnosis or I'd bring in improv troops, and so we'd have different shows going on every weekend. And then he was doing shows at the basement of some pool hall on the other side of town. And that so sounds like comedy to me. Yeah, and so we you know getting together, and I, I was telling him, I said, you know, I want to start my own club but i had no money at the time you know and he had some he had actually run some clubs before um in other places and he was looking to do a, a permanent club but he just didn't have you know the the everything in place to be able to do it well mm-hmm. i come along and i'm going look i'll i'll uh i'll quit doing the shows i'm doing i'll quit my job i'll dedicate myself full time let's do it and he's like okay let's do it so we found this place in a strip mall uh, it had, at one time it had been a church. I think before we took it over, it was some how bo- serendipitous that boarding. you built a comedy club and yeah. a church. You're a, a church. Mormon. That's it's incredible. A, yeah, <laughs> and uh, it was funny because it was all it was all pink. It was weird, but still had the you know the the pulpit up there in the front, and the, you know had a couple weird pews. Um, but so we uh, we we got the we found the place within two weeks. We converted the thing over into a comedy club and we opened we started up and running right and i think the the big thing about wise guys is that you know we did key stubs is a comedian and he's very very funny he's a very oh, okay. talented guy and so he ran it as a comedian so we were very careful about taking care of the audience making sure that they weren't heckling um that's so huge it's so yeah. huge to have a good control of of the audience without ruining their experience, but yeah, have you, a good control to, of the audience and understand there's a relationship between the audience and the performers that like, we don't want you guys feeling like you're in jail, but you have to understand this isn't a conversation. These guys came yeah. here to, you know, it's, we don't need your help other than no, laughter. Absolutely. That's, that's yeah. pretty much the end of the, unless the comedian wants you to participate in that way, there's no reason for you to participate. They're, exactly. If they come to you, they want questions and they do a lot of crowd work. That's great. But unsolicited, yeah. just making comments, you aren't helping anybody. F- friends listening right now, uh, laugh at comedy shows. That's it. Anything else is probably the wrong thing. Yeah, if you if you if you want to share some notes, write them down or text them or something. I exactly. don't, but don't bring it up then. I'd You're rather, ruining... even though texting during a show sucks, I'd rather you texted during a show than did anything to interrupt it. And I promise you, comedians are textbook failures we are bad at so many things rodney you don't become a comedian because you're funny you become a comedian because you're funny and have failed at a lot of other things and let me tell you we are good at being funny you do not have to try to top us in that it's our one thing stop trying to take it from us for the love of god well it's like i like to explain to people so you know jokes are like a magic trick 
They yes, really are. That, yeah. And if you're watching a magician, and while he's doing the act, you just say, oh, I, I saw you put that in your pocket. Oh, it must be up your sleeve. Mm. You know, you're you're ruining the magic. You're mm. ruining it. Yeah, exactly. You know, if you start, you start reaching in there and grabbing stuff, yeah. it's like, what are you doing? You're messing with the illusion, yeah. right? Comedy is the same way. Yeah. And, and when you're verbally setting up a joke and you're bringing in emotion and everything, you're creating an illusion and yeah. then you're going to shatter that illusion yeah. with the punchline. We're, we're building a moment when, when, you know, the setup, even though it's not exactly funny, that te- whatever tense feeling you feel that you guys feel the need to like a heckler feels the need to break with their dumb voice you have to understand the comedian's doing that on purpose you're you're building a climax that's going to be broken with laughter because so much of comedy is surprise it's bait and switch it is very much a magic trick sleight of hand i'm i'm using a sleight of voice i guess it is i'm i'm using my words to get you to one place to one place to here your mind's here and i take it to here and that's the laughter that's where the laugh happens in that moment where you thought it was going somewhere else and you couldn't have guessed what happens next that's where the biggest laughs happen and that's also where the worst heckles happen (laughs) that's where they pipe in because they don't they don't know where you're going you know if you start talking about one subject yeah they think that's what you're talking about it's yeah. like no i'm using that to set up what i'm actually taught making fun of mm-hmm. which will be the punchline which you don't know yet till and the, we get there and the worst part is is that a talented comedian could take a heckler and make some make fun of them and get like five ten minutes of good audience laughs out of it and that heckler could walk away from that show thinking that they oh i made it better yeah i, I made it better yeah, yeah see he, he acknowledged me he made fun of me audience laughed like no that's we would have the comedian came there to practice their craft man a lot of us have full-time jobs like we're trying <laughs> we're trying to do the thing that we love i didn't come here to argue with some no, drunk you, you started a dumpster fire and he put it out exactly but it would have been better without the dumpster fire i came to here to have with. a dumpster party and yes. you set my dumpster on fire yes, exactly. <laughs> how dare you sir but well, and you know, when we started Wise Guys, that was one thing. I was the house MC for the first three years. Mm. So I was on every single show for three years. And part of this whole process was teaching the audience how to be an audience. It's so important. People and don't understand yeah, that. And you kind of, you, and as an MC, you kind of set that pace. Yes, you, you set do. that understanding. I, it's such a good point. You yeah. Put them in their them place. how to be an audience. A lot of, and yeah. a lot of it is just, I, I think some people, they, they, if, if the show's not going well and they sense that, that's when they feel it's necessary to say something. That or they're just completely drunk and out of their stupid minds. But um, part of that, and, and I, I try to tell people as a, as a comedian, that if you are in control of that room, they will go with you wherever you want to go. Wherever you want to take them. Correct. So, um, if, But if, it's, it's part of that is just having that confidence and being in control. Yeah. Uh, so if I could chime in here real quick on my uh-huh. own podcast. <laughs> um, so uh, what you mentioned about teaching an audience how to be an audience. So uh, the thing about uh, comedy audiences is a lot of them aren't audiences regularly. Uh, they don't go to comedy shows all the time. This right. could be the one time they went to a comedy show all year. So I do theater, uh, as some of my listeners probably know. Yeah. And the great thing about theater versus comedy is the audience has something that uh, comedians will almost never have unless they're extremely good, have a following. It's called suspension of disbelief. Yes. Uh, a theater audience doesn't. Uh, I'm talking to a wall, and the, the fourth the, wall, and as the, we call it. Correct. Correct. Because uh, that's showbiz, baby. And uh, I'm talking to a wall in theater, right? And the audience has agreed to say that that wall is Europe. 
That's it. They're like, oh, that's Europe? Great. There's no set piece there. They've just decided that that's Europe. Awesome. We believe it. And they allow themselves to feel the emotions that us actors on stage are trying to get them to feel. With comedy, it's not really the same thing. Even the best comedy audiences are a little bit hostile. It could be your own family members, man. You still have to convince them to go (laughs) on that ride with you. They could say, oh, don't worry. We'll come to your show and we'll laugh. Trust me. You tell a bad joke in front of your family members, they're not going to laugh. You know what I mean? They, they yeah. didn't take that ride with you. So Yeah, you can sing poorly and they'll go, oh, well, you tried. Exactly. But you tell a bad joke and it's like, oh, you're horrible. Yeah, you terrible. Stink. Terrible. Shut yeah, up. no, comedy, is, it has, it's funny. It's done by a bunch of, uh, for, for lack of a better word, vagrants and drunks. <laughs> and yet we have to, we're, we're, we're weaving a... Uh, we're weaving a thing here that with, I don't want to say surgical precision, but when it goes right, that's kind of how it is. Yeah. And, uh, that suspension of disbelief, it just isn't there in comedy. You really have to earn it and you could lose it. I've had shows. All right. So, so back to theater. So, so when a comedy show stopped, uh, when something big happens, the show could really be dead. Right. Mm -hmm. I was doing theater and right after the climax of this particular performance, uh, the big it's, it was it was a comedy and there's this big uh, uproarious laughter right my director runs onto stage this is a live show rodney runs on the stage uh scott brill love you if you're listening um runs on the stage and he goes stop the show there's a there's a medical emergency in the audience and a woman had had a seizure Rodney, a seizure in the middle of a performance. And I'm sitting there dressed as General Patton. I have a gun in my, I have a fake gun in my hand. I look like a, uh, an idiot. It's it's just because the play is a farce, you know, already. It was was such a uh, moon over Buffalo was the play. And I played Howard and I'm sitting there and I'm like, what the hell do I do right now? And we reset the scene, did it over. And honestly, by the end, but by a minute or two in, you wouldn't have even known that someone almost just died in the audience. Yeah. You know, everyone snapped back to the audience is playing a role as well. They're, they're playing a role just as much as the people on stage. And I wish, I wish comedy audiences, more comedy audiences understood that a little bit better. Mm -hmm. I guess, I guess in places where comedy is a little bit more prominent, it seems to have a good culture of, of people, but even at like the, you know, the, the Holy grail, the Mecca, like the comedy store, there's stories every day of, of hecklers there. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, People just don't understand it. But, um, but you know, one of my funny you bring that experience up because I was in the audience watching Paula Poundstone in Connecticut mm. doing a show, and a lady went had a seizure during the show. Oh no! Yeah, I've dealt with that. And so she, yeah. So here's this is, and, and I, I share this with you because this, uh, she, this, watching her work this situation was just absolutely magical mm. because as soon as she realized what was going on. She stopped and she says, is there a medical, is there any medical professionals? We have an issue. This woman looks, she's having a problem. And so, um, whole group, there was like, uh, there was two EMTs, a couple nurses and, and three doctors in the house. They all run over there. They help take her, take care of her and they start working with her. And, you know, and we're all, everybody's looking, you know, and then right. she just kind of stops for a moment and she goes, obviously she is in great hands. <laughs> And it was perfect because it was like, okay, everybody just, it was just, it was perfect because it was like, it's being tended to. Right. So please, you know, don't, don't crowd. They know what they're doing. They're obviously professionals. Expert. Yeah. And then she walks away. So she starts that at the, she's in the middle of the stage when she starts this and it's over on to her, you know, stage right for her, 
left side of the room for everybody else. Mm-hmm. And so she's looking over there, and they, as soon as they got it in good hands, she just quietly just walks to the very opposite end of the room, to the far end of the stage, wow. and sits down and says, let me tell you about this time that I had to call the ambulance. And wow. she sits and tells a story about how she her back th- her through her back went out and she was paralyzed from the legs down from just hitting a nerve or something weird while she was trying to get ready for one of her sk- kids' school performances and she was like half dressed and the kids keep coming in and show must go all on. this wonder- and it's just this silly silly story and as we're, we're so wrapped up in her story that we totally by the time she was done. She gets up and she walks over to the middle of the stage and just goes right back into where she was at. By that time, you you didn't realize they had gotten her out. They had that brought in a gurney, beautiful. picked her up, and taken her out, and you didn't notice anything because she had pulled you over to this side. And she you just were said, entertained that yeah. whole time. Well, see, because your biggest concern is that somebody's hurt, right. and you don't want to go on. You don't want to have a good time if somebody's hurt. That's human. There's That's hurt, especially comedy. That. Yeah. You know? And all of a sudden, she just uh, just it was just brilliant masterful situation the way that she handled the whole thing she just got everybody everything's fine over here come over here but we'll have a good time but and it was not part of her story it was not part of her act it was just a i think she might have done it as a part of act years and years ago but right. it was just something she went back to because it kind of related to what was happening and then boom right back to the show and finished got a standing i mean just boisterous standing I'm, I, I, I mean, imagine it was just amazing how she handled yeah, it, it that brilliant that to me is uh to have that kind of gravitas as an entertainer is is peak you know to be able to capture any moment any situation and just mm-hmm. remember the goals that uh god or whatever you believe in did not bless you with the ability to cure cancer he did not bless you with <laughs> the ability you know as an entertainer you you yeah. don't you don't you don't you're not the ability to cure cancer you're not going to build a rocket that gets us to a planet uh with with resources that'll save us you're not there's so many ways that you're not going to save the world you have to understand that but and in, in the theme of being good enough you're you're going as as a as a funny person as a comedian as an entertainer you're going to do what you can to do what your job is, what your skills are. Mm -hmm. And you're going to take these people who are saving the world, who are keeping the world going, who they could be your cashier. They could be your banker. They could be lawyers, whoever's in your audience, doctors, all walks of life go into an audience, but they go there because they want (laughs) a 90 minute break from what life is otherwise, you know, this, this constant, uh, uh, memos and reports at the office and a nagging boss, the, their, you know, their, their weekend life, whatever it is, they're, they're, they're looking you, almost anything in entertainment is 90 minutes long or a little bit longer. And they're looking for that, that reprieve, that, that moment of, I don't want to think of any of that stuff. They're there to escape. Exactly. So whatever the situation is, Oh, life just entered this. This has got real that there's a person who almost died over there. She took that and she's like, no, I'm here to entertain you tonight. Yeah. It's, it's going to be a little different than what we planned, but, and we're going to get back to what we planned. But right now I'm leaving you of the stresses of life. And slowly but yeah. surely she took that. She, she, yeah. she did exactly that for those. Well, people. Your biggest concern was there's something wrong, right? Oh, it's being taken care of. Exactly. There's nothing you can do about it. Exactly. So it relieves everybody of any, any feelings of, oh, I should do something. Right. And just, here, listen to this. And then, boom, you're 
you're off and running. It was brilliant. It was brilliant. No, I I love that so much. And I I don't crave to have a moment like that as far as I want someone to get hurt. But I I crave the moments where I, you know, as as an entertainer, I crave these moments that where where I took I took a moment, made it mine, and made you know everyone in the. I mean, and that's what a laughter is. That's what true laughter is. That's why I love. Even if you get it as a comedian or just as a funny person, it's just telling a joke and making people laugh. It doesn't matter if someone's family member just died. It doesn't matter if that person's house just got foreclosed. Mm -hmm. For the moment, let's say it's five seconds that they're legitimately laughing, there isn't a bad thought in your mind. It's this pure gut response it's this it's it's it, an explosion of joy and and it's this natural human reaction is mm-hmm. to make this weird noise out of our mouth and this big goofy expression but in that moment you're gone man you're it's zen you've you've yes. transcended and you know like i said it's not curing cancer but it's something it's come on say it with me it's good enough good enough <laughs> here you go you're getting it dude yeah it uh, is it's a uh you know like it's a very zen very mindful if you're into that oh we love that, that word in 2019 yes we do mindful, mindful, it's mindful. just it's just a silly way of just saying zen yeah. um but you know as, this, i i tell people this all the time is that you, you you've never really fully understand what that is until you do stand-up comedy mindfulness yes yeah. <laughs> because when you're up right. there you have one purpose and one purpose only, one. and that is to make those people laugh mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter what it is that you do or what you say or how you say it, as long as they're laughing and they're having mm-hmm. a good time, that's all that matters in that moment. So it's I agree with so that. for that for that time that you're on stage, whether it's just for a short little couple minute set or a full one hour super special. Right. While you're up there, you have that one thing and everything else just leaves your mind and you are just focused on this audience and me and what I'm saying and what I'm doing. And it's just a, a magical experience because no matter what's going on, when you pull your so you step on stage, and you put that microphone in front of you. Everything else just goes away and you're there in that moment. You're present in that moment. And this is one of the things I think people as a comedian need to understand is when you go up there, be in that moment. The audience just wants yeah. to know that you were there with them, that you're not just up there reciting lines. You're not just up there trying mm-hmm. to remember a bunch of stuff and regurgitate it. Mm-hmm. But when you're up there and you're present with them and you're there with them and having a good time, then they're with you having a good time and we're all just enjoying ourselves. It's it's a it's a magical, wonderful moment. And it's part of why I got into stand up comedy. I mean yeah. I did. I've done theater, I've done uh, improv, all that kind of stuff, but there's nowhere in that that you get the same experience that you have from doing stand up. When you just get up there and you it's just true. make people laugh and they feel good. Oh yeah, you. It's just there's nothing else like nothing. it anywhere I'll, in I'll, entertainment. Uh, you know that actually brings me to a story. As far as uh, it actually came up on my Facebook memories today. It's crazy that uh, it's four years to the day. So uh, started comedy four years ago, but didn't really get involved into the scene, uh, uh, like the Connecticut comedy scene, until a couple of months after I first did comedy. First did comedy in February, and it was around this time where I really started getting involved in the open mics and meeting all you yeah. guys. Uh, I threw a show at a, a now uh, it's it's no longer there, but it was a, a Huntington Street Cafe in Shelton, and I had a bunch of comedians on, a bunch of my new comedian friends. Now I've known them f- for four years, but I had a bunch of my new comedians. Yeah, was that the one? On. I think I did one with Chris Clark. Uh, was that yours? No. Was, that, was that a different one? Yeah, that was a different one. Um, but you might have been on a show with Chris Clark. 
Chris Clark for you, my boy. Anyway, um, love that guy. He's oh, funny. he's the best. He's the best, and uh, we need him back on the scene. But so I threw the show together, right? And I was the host, and back to like it. I wasn't even that. I'm, you know, I, I didn't really know. I wasn't very experienced in stand-up comedy, but I put together a pretty good show. It was pretty, pretty yeah. awesome comedians on, and people were laughing and just laughing their asses off, having a great time, right? All people I knew, you know, family members, friends from high school. We got yeah. like 60 people into this little cafe. And all of that was incredible. The whole experience was incredible. And then I, as the host, walked outside and kind of greeted people as they left, and I got to see that it was, it's the thing that made me, you know, no matter what, you know, I may have a wife and kids one day and a different job and it might pull me away from doing this stuff often, or maybe I get a career in this stuff uh, as far as entertainment is concerned, mm-hmm. but it will always be a part of my life. I'll always do it because a moment happened there, right? I'm outside, people are pouring out and I'm just seeing one after another laughing, smiling, catching up. Not one person walked out of this little cafe upset or in a rush there was so much relating so you know these people were brought together and they all had an incredible time together and they were so damn happy and i'm like i i booked this and hosted it and and conducted Mm -hmm. it you know i i did not tell the funniest joke here today i did not have the best set but it wouldn't have happened if it weren't for my effort to put this show together and no, I don't know if I've had a greater joy since then as far as like a personal accomplishment is, is concerned because mm-hmm. it, it gave me so much drive to want to pursue creative things because this, you know, I, I wanted to be a comedian since I was 12 years old. But this right here, you know, th- it's so specific. This moment that I'm, I'm seeing these people I know and they're just smart. I've 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 in these 60 or so people that came out I've added I got we us comedians all together we were responsible for so much joy it's just not a bad thing about this situation this is what we need more of and this is what I could do like I said I'm I'm a fuck up Rodney <laughs> like, like I mess so many things up I'm bad at so many things I barely have my job <laughs> you know what I mean and I've I've been I've been fired from jobs and I've had to quit jobs and I've you know messed up job interviews and you know uh, f- there's so many things that uh, uh, I've done wrong in life and I'm not trying to like beat up on myself but what I'm trying to say is is this the joy I get out of it the joy that others get out of it if I never make any money out of it, that's fine. That's not what it's about, you know? And, uh, sorry, I went off on a little bit of a tangent there, but yeah, that, uh, Mm -hmm. just to bring it back to like why we're doing it and, 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 you know, uh, having a great audience and all that stuff, man, it really is just magical. Mm -hmm. There's nothing like it, but, uh, moving forward, uh, you know, we, we could sit here and gush about how great, uh, our bar shows and everything are, you know, over, over glorifying maybe some of this stuff. But I mean, you, you, like I said, you helped start a legitimately incredible and well-known uh, comedy club, which is awesome. But I want to get into that other thing uh, that that I think is very intriguing about you, which is the fact that you're a practicing Mormon, correct? Yes. And uh, so, so what? Uh, bring me through that a little bit, because I don't know enough about it as far because to be a Mormon and a comedian, I know you're pretty clean on stage. Although I was there for the uh, <laughs> what I thought was the first time. Was it the first time you ever swore on stage? I think so. Well, with that word, yeah. All right. So, out and of technically, context, I was quoting. You were quoting. So, I was so quoting. For, uh, I had a, I had a, I was hosting a show <laughs> in my hometown for a while. Everybody uh, at this place, Maria V's, 
and uh, Rodney was on as the headliner for the evening. And somebody in the front row, God, they were being awful. Talk about hecklers. They were just so loud. They were having the loudest conversation I've ever heard in my life in the in the front of the room. <laughs> and for whatever reason in their conversation, they some, say something about fucking squirrels and, or fucked a squirrel. And Rodney looks at them, a man who, like Jim Gaffigan <laughs> clean. I've, again, I've never heard him swear. He goes, did you just say fucked a squirrel? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God, did I just hear Rodney Norman swear for the first time ever? <laughs> It was the first time I ever heard him, and I still think the first time it ever happened in existence. But um, so yeah, so you're a Mormon and a comedian. I don't know uh-huh. if those things are supposed to conflict at all. The one of the biggest comedies on Broadway for a few years now is the Book of Mormon. Mm-hmm. So I guess comedy and Mormonism uh, work a little bit. Like, but well, what's that experience like for you? How did you become one? Were you born into it? Talk, talk to me about it. Well, uh, comedy, you know, stand-up comedians from Mormonism. Uh, not not a big thing. I mean, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know too any of them. Um, and when I started, there was hardly any of us. Now there's now, now there's hardly quite any Mormons a bit. or hardly any Mormon hardly comedians. any Mormon comedians. Okay, you know there were a few here and there. Usually that might be another trend you started. Yeah. Well, me and uh, if you've ever heard of Ryan Hamilton, I have. Yeah, he's a friend of mine. I oh, you him. know him? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I, I was. He's the he's got the the biggest smile on earth, right? Yes, that whole that's his whole he, thing. A yeah. little bit of trivia: before he moved to New York, he opened for me for a week in Montana. That's a, a run. Together. That's a flex, Rodney. There yeah. you go. Yeah, there this, you go. Because he's done no, some, he was he's he done was, some pretty big spots. Yeah, he when I was doing my shows at the theaters, he'd called uh, sent an email to my wife about asked about doing stage time, and so we said, yeah, "Come on up." And your wife did, or your wives? My wife. <laughs> <laughs> we only have one. Yeah, just t- so you elaborate know, okay. this because that's the first thing people bring up when they. Oh, I know. I know. Well, please okay, explain back it in to the us old day. Okay, back in the old day when the church first started, yes. polygamy was not ill legal it was actually very common um people got married when they were 12 i mean this was the this was the wild west back right right exactly women didn't have property rights if Mm -hmm. their husband died they had one year to get remarried or that property would go up for auction be taken over by the state absolutely or go to the guy's nearest male um family member you know so it could go to his brother or somebody's never you know what i mean Mm -hmm. So the church started doing polygamy because they were, you know, small in numbers. By with polygamy, they could raise really big families, which helped, uh, you know, get things going. Um, help with the farm work, right? Uh, so it made sense. Plus, women, you know, they could keep the property in the church because the church was trying to be very, very, cl- you know, close together and working together and yeah, that all that sense. kind of thing. And so, for, so it started in um, uh, in the Midwest, you know, in uh, Illinois and uh, Missouri, and then everybody kicked us out because everybody hated us. And so then we moved to Utah, and we did it there, and we were doing polygamy, and it was going really great. We were lots of communities building up a lot of people, and we have all these converts coming from Europe coming in and joining in, and and it was going pretty good. And then when we decided we wanted to become a state and join the union. They, uh, um, you know, made it a territory. They made it illegal to be a polygamist. And so then they started throwing us in jail. And so in order to become a state, Utah, the church abandoned or, you know, stopped the uh, polygamy in 1891 or 1890. And then we became a state in 1891. And so uh, we stopped doing polygamy as the main church. There are still groups who broke off 
who are who call themselves fundamentalists, mm-hmm. FLDS, if you will, right. and they still practice polygamy. There is still polygamy in Utah. There, are, but instead of being a dude that's married to a bunch of women, it's just he never actually gets married legally. So it's just a dude and a whole bunch of girlfriends. Right. So that's why they can't really prosecute. They can't stop it yeah, because technically, technically it's just wives. a dude with right. a bunch of bunch of women. Right. It's just a dude with girlfriends. So, so yes, it's still practiced, but. The church I belong to, the main church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Saints, does not practice polygamy. So I okay. only have one wife. But okay, that's good. That, that being that's good said, no, that clears things up a yeah. lot because I, I I've, um, especially when I told people that I'd be talking to a uh, speaking with a Mormon, mm-hmm. uh, that was, they always bring up the multiple wives things, multiple wives things. So all right, so so I appreciate you clearing that up. I hope so, a lot of people just learned something because I know I yeah. sure did. Um, and so what's your experience been as a Mormon in comedy though? Um, it, it's odd because as a Mormon, when people in the church find out that I am a Mormon, you know, when I'm performing in Utah, mm-hmm. it's not so much now, but back when I first started doing comedy in Utah. How long Utah, ago was that? Um, How long ago, comedy in general? I've been doing comedy for 20 years. Oh, wow. Okay. So in the late nineties, early two thousands, there wasn't really a there was one comedy club but the dude never let any locals on and it was very dirty so mormons wouldn't go to it so there was never really a mormon comedy scene until we started wise guys and then you know it's keith a mormon and i was a mormon so it was two mormon comics starting a comedy club we kept it fairly clean we didn't really tell comics to not be dirty we just in fact i used to tell people i said these are these rules that i'm going to share with you are not our rules these are the rules the audience has. So it's not me telling you not to do this. I'm just saying that if you do this, the audience will turn. I'm not going to turn on you. I'm not going to do anything. Right. The audience exactly. is not going to go with you if you're really filthy and dirty, mm-hmm. especially in some, some places. Yeah. The insult leg is pretty liberal. You can get away with pretty much anything you want. The what, le- the what leg? In Salt Lake. Oh, Salt Lake. Salt Lake. Yeah. In Salt Lake City itself. Yeah. It's very liberal. Right. Now. It's... It, um, so the libs you, are taking over. And that's the thing about Utah. The thing there is that everybody's very well educated, but they don't leave. So you got people, you know, with master's degrees that are running subways. Right. It's just very, a lot of educated people in Utah that just don't leave Utah. Mm. So they can, you know, they're smart people. But as a, as a, as a Mormon, being clean, the things I've run up against here, well, in Utah, the, the problem I have is people, every little thing they think is too dirty. Right. And then when I bring the same material out here, I'm considered a squeaky clean. Oh, you are squeaky clean. Because I've been on a lot of shows with you, and I know a lot of the comedians that you're on shows with out here. And let me tell you, you are far and away the cleanest one on those shows. Yeah. Even my dirtiest material right. could still be on TV. Oh, for sure. I love that. Yeah. Rodney, if, you, if, if you're looking for a profile or a tagline, there it is. That's you, man. You yeah. su- that was a perfect way to sum yourself up. Even my dirtiest material could be on TV. Yeah. But um, see, I but I also run into the problem because there's some people in comedy that think that if you're a clean comedian that somehow you're an arrogant jerk and that you think you're better than everybody else. And right. It's like, I That's never, not true for never, everyone. Never, true never for any time have I ever listening, pretended that folks, I was... True for me. I think I'm better than absolutely everyone. But I am an <laughs> outlier. I need, I need you to understand that most comedians... I'm an arrogant monster, but most comedians do not think they're better than you. I'm just kidding. I just, just spent... Uh, yeah. I just went on a five-minute rant about telling everyone well, no, about five But I've, I've run into issues where people won't book me because they think, well, it's a bar, so you won't do well here. Oh, like, fart noise to that. And I've gotten I've gotten that issues where people, well, I'm going to wait till I have a need to clean comedian, then I'll use you. It's like, okay, 
yes, I'm a clean comedian, but I don't get up there and tell people I'm a clean comedian. I yeah. just get up there and be funny. Yeah, that's all that comes out. You're still a comedian. And, You're and funny. If, and if, I mean, look, I, you know, it used to be the rule that you don't follow dirty. That if somebody's really dirty and then you're clean, that it doesn't work. No, it's a great juxtaposition. It's a great. It works every single of time. Of course it does. I lo- man. The dirtier you are, the funnier I will. What's be. better after salty pretzels than like a piece of chocolate? You know what I mean? Exactly. Like, like, like it's, exactly. It's, it's a it's a complete different. It's a palate cleanse. Like I don't. If if I heard someone really dirty and then really clean, that's great. Or if I heard someone really clean and then really dirty afterwards, that's awesome. The last thing I want is to have two people who sound they're doing the same exact act back to back. Yeah. You know, and and sometimes that happens. Well, I, I remember uh, a comedian one time was like, "Well, do you want me to tell the audience your work clean?" I said, "No, just tell them I'm funny. No, exactly. Just say here's what the next guy. About? You don't yeah. need to tell. Like, well, I just want to prepare them. They don't need to be prepared for somebody who's no. clean. No, you just already, just bring me up there. I'll about, be funny. Talk about preparing people. So, um, do you ever do you have friends or family who introduce you as a funny person and ruin whatever laugh you might have been able to get out of a conversation because of it? Um, yes. That's one of my biggest pet peeves in life is that, and I'm, here, here it goes. Now I'm, now I'm bringing it on me. Everyone's going to do it now. But, oh, yeah. uh, people like my friends are, are especially acquaintances who don't know me that well, but are introducing me to somebody else. They'll often be like, Hey, this is my friend, Stefano. He's the funniest dude. I know he's a comedian. I'm like, understand you've just prepared this person to not laugh at anything I say. Even if I was going to be funny, yeah. like there's nothing funny to follow up what you just told them. It's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like telling someone uh, that someone uh, telling someone the magic trick, like how to do a magic trick before the magician yeah. does it. Like, no, they didn't need to know that I could make yeah. people laugh. No, now, he's going to put up three cards. Exactly. He's going to answer to find a, exactly. find the one, and it's going to be an ace of hearts. No matter what you yeah. think, it's going to be an ace of hearts. Watch. Like any yeah, anytime someone's like, yeah, just uh, yeah, this this is my friend Stefano, man. He's so funny. I'm always like, uh, hi, nice to meet you. Uh, I'm not going to be funny. I'm sorry that you're still looking at me. Like, just like, yeah. like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to tell you. I'm, I'm just having a beer at the bar. My friend uh, sets unrealistic expectations, you know? But, uh, so, um, one thing I want, uh, another thing I want to talk to you about, uh, that's, uh, is, uh, like I said, you're a very unique person, very interesting. Um, so you got the Mormon thing. The yep. uh, you're a comedian, obviously a comedian of uh, of 20 years. Uh, what was your involvement as far as so you're a veteran, correct? Yeah, I was in the Marine Corps. Interesting. Uh, so what? Uh, what? Could, I don't know how much of that you could talk about. Or what? Well, what, I what service okay. You I saw? served. I served a two year mission for my church in New Jersey. Wow. And then when I got back, I went back to college for about uh, a few months. Well, I worked. Doing construction, doing a, uh, uh, I was a hot tender for, uh, uh, for a mason company. Mm. And so we were building foundations and rock walls, that kind of stuff. And then I went to college and I was just bored trying to think of what to do with myself. And, uh, the first, uh, Gulf War started up with Kuwait and all that. And I'd always told myself that a war came out and we went to war. I would just join. I wasn't going to wait. Stop for a second, everybody. A true goddamn American. Did you hear what he just said? He just said, I always told myself if there's a war, I'm going to go fight it, essentially. Yep. So you, you I, uh, I quit college. And I had a scholarship for debate. Right. Uh, surrendered that and joined the Marine Corps. And you went to fight in the Gulf War. I went. Well, I went, but it was over by, by before I even got out of boot camp. Oh, I mean, okay. it was done. 
So it was, you Which, know. I mean, you so, were fully prepared. Yeah, I was yeah. ready to go to war. But then, you know, four years, by the time I was, by the time my four years were done, I mean, it was a war where the enemy didn't shoot back. Mm. I mean, it was, a, it was ridiculous. Right. But I just did my four years. Clinton was the president. He was really drawing down the military. And there really wasn't much left in there. Plus, I never really intended to make it a career. So mm. I just, I did four years and then went back. And uh, shortly, a couple years after that is when I started doing stand-up. That is fascinating. Just to have that kind of initiative and just a set of nuts on you to say that there's a war going on. Yeah. If, if there was ever war in my life, I know, you know, I, I would love to have the balls to go to, you know, to, to do service. I love, I love my country, but that's uh that takes some serious initiative, man. I, I respect it. I really do. Um, it was a, it was a rewarding experience. I'm glad I did. I tried to go back in 2001, but at that point in time I was overweight and had too many kids and they wouldn't take me. So well, uh, you said you were overweight. And I was overweight and had too many kids. How many kids? Uh, I had five kids. You had f- had five. Uh, four kids. Uh, wow. Four kids. And, and uh, they won't take me. If you have anything more than two kids, they usually and you know, my age and everything. So it's like, right. It's like go. Me. They're like, hey, um, listen. We appreciate you, yeah. but no, listen. You're not what we're listen, for. dad bod with yes, four kids. Exactly. Go be a dad. <laughs> go be a kid. You you yeah. did the th- you did. Well, your I was going to do reserves, but even then, it was yeah. just yeah. They're like, listen, we need you on the grill right now. Okay, yes. we need you taking yeah. the kids to soccer. That's the for you to be the best American you could be right now. That's what we need. Yeah, there are plenty of eighteen-year-olds who don't know how to pay for you, college. You keep doing what you're <laughs> right doing. now. Yeah, you're doing great. You did great. We appreciate your service. Set the next couple plays out. All right, yeah, champ. Pretty much it. All right, Rodney. So, um, one thing, uh, one kind of final thing, I really I wanted to get into a little bit uh-huh. uh, before we close this up. Um, so you have. Uh, so, so yeah, so so we're recording a podcast right now. Uh-huh. Um, this uh, I don't want to say is an infinite medium, but like I'll try to keep this hosted forever. As far as like you know, I would like people to always be able to listen to this. You know, mm-hmm. even though it's digital, I would like there to always you know always be a copy of it. I'd like to be able to show my kids one day, hey kids, this was the first episode of uh, <laughs> a podcast that I did, or hey you know whoever it is. Like I, I'd like this to. Basically, uh, this is a moment in infinity. You know what I mean? I, and I, okay. I, so right now you're speaking to whoever it could be, uh, friends of yours, friends of mine, people. Maybe I'm dead right now, and people are listening to this. Who knows? You know, because this, because like I said, this uh, has essentially an infinite shelf life. So uh-huh. speaking into infinity for a moment, like what, mm. what, what words, what conversation mm. would you like to, yeah, that's right. Put on yeah. your God voice. Well. <laughs> he does look like God, by the way, guys, if you go to his Instagram or, or, uh, or, uh, yeah, like you do seem like the guy, like we have an idea of what God would be like. And like, you'd be cast as God easily <laughs> in at least a commercial. I don't know about movies. I don't know if you're into all of it, but like yeah. he's got the long white beard, the, the just is filled with wisdom. And this thing grows overnight guys he'll he'll be clean shaven and how long does it take that beard to come back well i was completely clean shaven and had a very short haircut in november i don't believe that because you 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 look like santa yeah uh santa who who could run a 5k i should say i I don't i'm not trying to call you fat but um so yeah but if you could put you know you you you've you've been a vet You've been uh, a more uh, a, a, a faithful man, a faithful uh, you know a great comedian. You helped start this awesome club. What wh- who, to whoever might be listening, comedians, a lot of actors, friends of mine, just whoever might be listening. What wisdom might you be able to bestow upon them? Um, to thine own self be true. To thine own self. Be true. Um, 
Well, I, I, I think. And what does that mean to you, Rodney? Well, I, I think part of this, this whole life, if you could get along better, if you just if you embrace stoicism. Are you familiar with stoicism? It's a philosophy where you're basically, you're unmoved by what's going on in the world. You're just taking the world in for what it is and accepting it for what it is. You only are worried about the things that you have control over. And you don't worry about the things that you don't have control over. Tend to the garden you can, folks. Grow where you're planted. I love it. I love it. And and just just be happy where you're at. You know. I mean, you you want to have goals and you want to pursue things and and, and, and do more of with course. your life, no, no, yeah. which is great. But do it not at the expense of your own self or others. Right. Build something strong. Build something so that when you get there, and you're taking it all in, that you're proud of what you've accomplished. Not because you've destroyed someone else or you've ruined someone else's life to get what you wanted, but because you actually built it and you did so because you love what you do and you love everyone else. Just have fun. Do it with a smile. Accept people for who they are, even if you disagree with them about everything. It's like I tell people, just because I think you're going to hell doesn't mean I don't like you. God, that's perfect. That's perfect. I love that. And just have fun. Just enjoy it. That's incredible, Rodney. Well, uh, you've been a fantastic first guest. Well, I really thank you. I really hope uh I really hope I, I, I could grow this a little bit more and, and be able to do it more often. I'd love to have you back on in the future. I think people are gonna get a real kick out of this episode. I think we covered some cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh and I really appreciate you coming out. Um on that note, uh I don't know when this is going to be out. If, if you, you, if, if you want to promote anything that you do, uh, maybe something a little bit more in the future or a little bit more consistently uh, that you'd like to plug. Uh, well, I have my own podcast. It's called The Rodcast. The Rodcast. Uh, it's out there. I'm on Facebook and awesome. Instagram. Yeah, find them on Instagram. So what are, your, what are your socials? Uh, uh, Rodney D. Norman. Rodney, Rodney D. Norman, Norman on everything? Comedian. Yeah, if you just look up Rodney Norman Comedian, I pop up and everything I'm doing is out it's there. It's got Google results, folks. It's I'm the Google-able, real deal. Mate. That's the when my deal. kids knew that I was successful when I was Googleable to them. That's incredible. Friends, yeah, friends. if you Google me, like an old an old uh, article from high school comes up of uh, of of me. Or I think I think that's probably it. Don't Google me, guys. It's not going to be interesting. Um, if you Google me and you put Rodney Norman comedian, I'm the first page and a half before you find another Rodney. That's success, that's, everybody. That's what I'm. That is success. <laughs> that really is. All right. Um, on that note, going to go ahead and wrap this up. I think this has been a fantastic first episode, and I'm going to close this the way I hope to close every episode, which is um, a, a, long, a while back, I came up, I don't want it to, to be necessarily a catchphrase, but I wanted to come up with a piece of advice that I believe I could give to all 7 billion people on Earth. It's, uh-huh. the, it's, a, it's an irrefutable piece of advice that... Uh, that it's not political. It's not, I don't have to be an expert in anything for it to be true. It's simply something that I think every person on earth can do because it'll make them a healthier person and make the world a better place and make them a happier person, literally just from this one phrase. So on that note, everybody drink more water and be nicer <laughs> to each other. <laughs> Brilliant. Awesome. Brilliant. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Rodney. Needs to be said. <laughs>